So um, now I, I do want to uh, just call your attention back. So we're in First Kings on Sunday nights, and we've been uh, moved in. We've moved into the divided kingdom in Israel, and uh, that song Waymaker. As Katie and Hidardo were singing it tonight, I, I love that song. But uh, for me, you know how sometimes there's a point, at, a memory that gets kind of seared into your mind when you hear a song. And I have a real special memory with that song. Uh, we were getting ready for, well, the, you know, the COVID thing had just started. The lockdowns had started. And our church staff, it was like pivoting to do everything online and, and connect with people and try to do Bible studies and all that sort of stuff. And Hidardo and Katie had started to do some worship for the Sunday school children's group. They, we were putting out special videos just for Sunday school. And we received a video from uh, one of the families in the church. The three kids were doing Sunday school one morning, and they were all singing along with Katie and Hidardo uh, singing that song, Waymaker. And I just, it was so beautiful because uh, in the very beginning, a lot of things were unknown, but we, uh, we turned toward the Lord, and it was, it was amazing to see what God did. Now we're in a point in time where it seems like every week there's new news, new mandates, and all these things from our government and I know many of you are at a place where your jobs are potentially at risk. Uh, I've, we've been filling out so many uh, vaccine religious exemption forms for our people here in the church. And by the way, if you need one, please speak to us. But uh, I just wanted to share something with you because uh, we tend to kind of like respond very quickly before waiting on the Lord with things. And do you all remember Jeroboam and Jeroboam's sin, what Jeroboam did? He, God made him king over Israel, remember? And Jeroboam did something that was sinful. Anybody remember what that was when we were there in, a few weeks ago in Kings? Anybody remember? You, you remember? Yeah, yeah, Jeroboam erected an altar, and he actually made idols that represented God. He made these calves, and he got rid of the Levites and made his own priest. But do you remember what the motivation for him doing this sin was? What he was, why he did that sin? Anybody remember that? No? Okay. I just want to call your attention. And the reason why I'm calling your attention to this tonight is because I think it'll greatly encourage you. And this, it all ties in. I'm not just rambling up here. Uh, and, and you can read about this Jeroboam's sin in 2 Kings uh, chapter 12. Or sorry, 1 Kings chapter 12. But Jeroboam was afraid that the people of Israel, the ten tribes that God had given to him, would go worship the Lord in Jerusalem at the temple, and then they, their hearts would decide, we want to be here with Judah and not come back to Israel. He was afraid of what possibly could happen, and it drove him in his fear to do a sinful act against God. And I want to just challenge you, uh, as we deal with all these things that are coming, these mandates the possible fears that we see looming or, or whatever the case is, you turn your heart toward God. 
You turn your heart toward the Lord. Don't respond in fear or respond out of your own idea or what you think would be well. You just turn to the Lord and you wait on the Lord. Don't be like Jeroboam and just respond in fear, okay? I want to encourage you with that uh, because we as Christians, we, we wait on the Lord and we recognize that our God is a way maker. And so I want to uh, just encourage you with that before we get into the rest of tonight's study. So with that said, we're in 1 Kings chapter 15 tonight. And let me go ahead and, oh, sorry, we're, yeah, oh, that's why I turned over to Chronicles there. We're in 1 Kings chapter 15, and I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the word tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you are our way maker. Lord, we thank you for the promises that you said you will never leave us nor forsake us, and Lord, we depend upon you. God, you warned us that in this world we will have troubles, but take heart. You've overcome the world. And so, Lord, we claim all these promises as your children. We come to you and cry out, Abba, care for us. Take care of us. Provide for us. We are here to wait on you. And now, Lord, as we enter into your word, we pray that you might teach us and instruct us. God, may we surrender those attitudes and those actions that are sinful. May we, re- we, may we turn from those things and turn toward you and follow you. So, Lord, we pray for conviction. Lord, I pray that you might encourage each and every one in here tonight, that, that they might leave here with your peace as your Holy Spirit ministers to each and every one. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in, uh, continuing on the divided kingdom. Now, Jeroboam has already gone away. Now, as we're here in First Kings, we're going to kind of do this back and forth thing of the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. And so sometimes it'll be a little bit overlapping. In fact, tonight, the way we're going to read this is we're going to skip towards the end of the chapter and skip back up to try to keep it a little bit more in a chronological order. Uh, but as we enter into 1 Kings, uh, the two ki- uh, kings, uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, have, have uh, died. They've gone to rest with their fathers as, as the uh, book of Kings marks it. And, uh, and both of them did wickedness. Now, you're going to see throughout the book of Kings, uh, Israel, the kings of Israel are always going to be compared to Jeroboam and the wickedness of Jeroboam. The kings of Judah will always be compared to David, God's servant. So just pay attention to that as we go through, and uh, I'll, I'll call back to it in, in a little bit here. So let's look at chapter uh, 15, verse 1. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, Abiham became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Machah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. And was, as was the heart of his father, David. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him by establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abihem and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? 
And there was war between Abiham and Jeroboam. So Abiham rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the, buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. So we're going to pause there uh, as we talk about this. So Abiham follows after Rehoboam. And Abiham is also referred to as Abiyah in Chronicles. So it's same person. Sometimes between Chronicles and Kings, you'll see a little variation in the name. Uh, but it's the very same person. Uh, don't, don't get confused there. But we're going to see that with Abiham in 1 Kings here, we see that uh, he did not do walk as, his, uh, as David walked, but he walked as his father Rehoboam. And that's one of the key things. Now, notice in verse 4, it says, Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem. And I think this is kind of amazing. God, because of David's faithfulness to God, and we, we, we know that David wasn't a perfect man. And here in, in the text, it even reminds us of what happened with Uriah the Hittite and how he had the affair with Bathsheba. But because of David's heart, because David always repented, because David chose to walk with the Lord, God blessed David's generations. And this is just something I want to point out to you because oftentimes we think that sin only affects us, that we can sin and it has no impact on anyone else. But nothing could be further from the truth. Your sin has a great effect on those around you. It has an effect on your relationships as well. In the same manner that sin affects those around you, so does righteousness. As you live righteously before the God, before your God, it's going to have an impact on those around you. Whether those around you are following God or not, it'll have an impact even unto generations after you. So when you, when you consider how you're going to live before God, I want to encourage you to think not just for the here and now, not just for the next five years, but think generationally because we don't know when the Lord is going to return. We're all hoping soon, maybe, maybe tomorrow, maybe tonight, you know, we'll get the ticket and, and, get, and get, get up there. But, but until that point in time, we should be thinking about how we live before the Lord and that legacy that we're handing off to the generation. So, so, uh, David here, because of, of David's faithfulness, God established a lamp in Jerusalem uh, for uh, Abiham. Now, you're going to see that over the kingdom of Judah, there's only one dynasty. For, for the, the next 250 years, as we follow through kings before uh, Israel is carried off into captivity, there's one dynasty, and that's the family of David. And for Israel, the other 10 tribes of Israel, there's going to be nine different dynasties. So we're going to see lots of changeover because God, basically not a, not a single one of them chooses to honor the Lord or, or walk in his ways, even though God had promised if they did, he, he would bless them and keep them. So just keep that in mind. Now, I want to say something else about Abihim. The issue with Abiyam is he, he, his heart was not loyal, it says here in the text. Uh, and uh, I want to turn over to Second Chronicles 13 for a moment because in Second Chronicles we get a little bit more insight. And we're going to be going back and forth tonight. We'll see how far we actually get in the chapter. But Second Chronicles chapter 13, we find out that Abiham or Biyah, 
uh, is actually uh, somewhat of a preacher. He actually has a message to, to Israel. You see, Abiha and Jeroboam go to war, and Abiha actually rebukes Jeroboam in the name of the Lord. In uh, chapter 13, verse, well, before we get to verse 13, uh, 1 through 13, uh, Jeroboam and uh, the armies of Israel are facing off against Abiha and the armies of Judah, and they're outnumbered, and Abiha starts saying that we're going to trust in the Lord. Well, that sounds like, that sounds pretty good. So what happened here? Well, if you go to verse 13, it says, but Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around behind them. So they were in front of Judah and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked around to see, to, uh, to their surprise, the battle line was at both front and rear. And they cried out to the Lord and the priests sounded the trumpets. Now I'm going to pause there. Am I really loud tonight? Or is it just me? I feel like I'm loud. Maybe you can turn me down a little bit. Because I'm, I'm trying to raise my voice because I'm getting excited. And then I'm like, I'm just going to blow out everybody's eardrums. Um, so uh, th- they're there for battle. All of a sudden, uh, Abiha and Judah realize that Jeroboam has done this, this great maneuver. He's moved both to their front and their rear. He's swept around them. And now they're in major trouble. Look at what they do. They cry out to the Lord. That's important. Verse 15. Then the men of Judah gave a shout. And as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abiha and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah and God delivered them into their hand. Then Abiha and his people struck them with a great slaughter So 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time. And the children of Judah prevailed because they uh, relied on the Lord God of their fathers. And so here we see that that Abiha makes this incredible decision to reject Jeroboam, to reject his gods. And you can read the background story in this later. But, But because they choose to rely upon God... God protects them. Well, then let's go on to verses 21 and 22 through 22. It says, But Abiha grew mighty, married 14 wives, and begot 22 sons and 16 daughters. Now the rest of the acts of Abiha, his ways and his sayings are written in the annals of the prophet Edo. So Abiha's, uh, now we see that he, he doesn't have a regard for the ways of God. He goes and marries 14 wives. And, and you would think like, well, why? God did this marvelous work. Why wouldn't he turn toward the Lord God? This is the heart of man. This is the same heart of sin that you and I both share. I, I'm, I'm just going to be straight up with you guys. You and I can see God do a marvelous work in our lives. And in the next moment, we can drift away, or over the next years, we can drift away, and we can deceive ourselves. So how do you prevent that? Will you draw close to the Lord, just like David did? The, the, the wonderful great psalmist of Israel, as, as he's portrayed, David always grew, grew close to the Lord. And when David started to stray, what did the Lord do to David? He rebuked him. He sent a prophet. He sent someone to rebuke David, and David received the rebuke, and he repented, and he turned back to the Lord. So if you're in a place where you're growing close to the Lord, and you start to wander, and the Lord rebukes you, 
praise God for that. Because he's telling you, you're my child. Don't go that direction. Turn back around. And, uh, and that's what David did. But Abiha, he saw the wonderful victory, and then he turned back around. The root of Abiha's uh, problem, or Abiham's problem, is that his heart uh, was not uh, loyal to the Lord. Now, Abiham also says that he didn't tear down any of the idols or anything in Jerusalem. All right, let's go to verse, uh, verse 9 here. Uh, of chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 9. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah, and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Machah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. And he banished the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. Also, he removed Machah, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of the Asherah. Get out of here, Grandma. And, and Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver, gold, and utensils. So now we, we get to Asa, and Asa is very different than his father, Abiha or Abiham. Asa actually responds totally different to the idolatry in the land, and he starts a reform. Asa starts reforming Israel, and we read that, that he, uh, when we look at the very beginning of his, his reform, he uh, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's the first thing he did. That's a compliment, as his father David. So and we know that his father David is actually his great, great, great grandfather, his great grandfather. But the point is, is that Asa did as David did. He did well in the eyes of the Lord. Then we see that he banished the perverted persons of the land. Now, we remember that Rehoboam brought in what was referred to as the perverted persons of the land. And it's hard to know for sure what this is. We, we know that the idea here is these, uh, it, it's more cultic abomin abominations or cultic sexual uh, uh, prostitutes, that sort of thing. Very possibly, it, it's uh, uh, homosexual idol temple prostitutes that, that were brought in. But we're not really sure what it was. We just know that, as I said last week, it is a perversion uh, of whatever God created. So whenever someone does something that is outside of the boundaries of which God has created, it's referred to as a perversion. And these perverted people of the land were, uh, were there and Asa drove them out of the land. And, he, and then it goes on to say that he removed all the idols that his fathers had made. Also, he removed his grandmother. I love the fact that this shows the intensity of Asa, that, that he's noticed that his grandmother is even wicked, and she's made this obscene image, uh, this obscene idol, the word, uh, tell, the word tells us. And that's something abominable or horrible. Uh, so we don't know what that was, and I don't think we really want to know what that was. But here's this wicked grandmother making these obscene things, and Asa says, you're gone. I'm cutting down the idol, and you're out of here. Uh, and I, I just want to say this for a moment. Don't justify sin because grandma and grandpa did it. 
Or don't justify sin because mom and dad did it. Or it's a family tradition. It's so weird how family traditions sometimes that are sinful hold us captive. Uh, Well, the family's always done this, so shouldn't it be okay? Don't do that. You, You submit to the Lord God. You have a new ruler and a new king and new authority over your life. And you're submitting to him. And I love the fact that Asa recognized this. And he said, all right, Grandma, kick rocks. You're out of here. And, and so she, she's gone. She's banished from the land. Uh, so he's gotten rid of the perverted persons, idols, uh, his grandmother, and his grandmother's obscene image. And, he, and not only did he cut down that image, he burned it. Uh, but he didn't remove all the high places that the text tells us. Now, with Asa... As he banished all these things, there's a couple of things about Asa I want to bring to your attention. So flip back over to Chronicles, and I'm just watching my time here. I know this is a lot, but, but it gives us some insight into Asa. Uh, First Chronicles, uh, second, sorry, second Chronicles 14 and 15 give us a lot of information about Asa. Now there is something that happens in Asa's life that is worth bringing attention to. Because we're going to see he doesn't remember this, and it's unfortunate for him. So if you go to, let's go to verse 2 of chapter 14, Second Chronicles. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, for he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places, broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. So we find out that he actually brought back the law of God and the commandments. He told everybody they had to respect it. Verse 5. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. And the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers, gates, and bars while the land is yet before us, uh, because we have sought the Lord, our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered, and Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Now, uh, watch for that term, they had rest, or they were at war all their days. Because we see that, that those who please God are at rest. They get rest because their God goes before them. And so as Asa uh, is doing this, he takes this opportunity. God's given us rest. Let's fortify our buildings and do all these things. Now here comes the, the experience that Asa has. Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an, uh, with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. Now, how many men did, did Asa have between Benjamin and Judah? 580,000. Thanks for doing the math for us, Julian. Uh, 580,000. And, and he came, he came uh, with uh, this million men army, uh, 300 chariots, and he came to Marashah. And Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah. Uh, Zephathah. Okay, you know. And Marashah. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help 
whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against the multitude. O Lord, you are God. Do not let man prevail against you. Who does that remind you of? Does that remind you of anybody? It, it really reminds you of Jonathan and of David, all those who feared the Lord, who said, Lord, whether we're going up against uh, 10 or 1,000, it doesn't really matter. You're, gonna, you're the one who's in charge here. You're the one who's in control. You fight for us. And, and, and so Asa sees this un, insurmountable odds, this huge army coming up from Ethiopia, and he just says, all right, we're going to turn to the Lord. So he prays this wonderful prayer. And verse 12 says, So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And they carried away very much spoil. Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar. For the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. How is this possible? Well, it's God. God does the impossible. Uh, just for a moment, think about how you would apply something like this to your life. Because the same God of Asa is your God. The, the, the same God who's able to deliver Asa from the million-man army, the same God that's able to deliver David from the lion or the bear is able to deliver you from all the giants and all the armies that form. I mean, do, do, you, do you know that? Are, are you confident in that? I, I would really encourage you to, to, to seek that God as we deal with these trials, these hardships, those who would come against us for evil. You go to the Lord. Let the Lord fight your battle. How marvelous is this that Asa prays and then this million-man army is destroyed by, by this very small army because Asa rested in the Lord. So Asa did a lot of good for Israel uh, as we read. Now, uh, I want to just take a, a little detour before we finish with Asa. Hold on. I've got to make sure i got my notes right here. No, I, I got, we're going to finish with Asa. And then we're going to take a detour. Okay, so Asa now is, uh, he has this wonderful victory. Going back over to 1 Kings, I'm going to flip back over to Chronicles so you can stay in Chronicles if you want. And I'll, we'll put up Kings on the board. So in 1 Kings, it says about Asa, um, the rest of all the acts of Asa, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I mixed up my notes. We are going to go over to Kings. Um, we're going to turn back over to Kings. We'll get back to Asa in a moment. Uh, I want to go over to 1 Kings 15, 25 through 31. So we're going to skip down a little bit in Kings because we're going to transition from Judah over to Israel. And in 1 Kings 15, verse 25, we're going to read about what happens. Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel. And in the second year of Asa, king of Judah... And he reigned over Israel two years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. So Asa's in his second year of his reign. Jeroboam's son, son takes over, Nadab, and he's obviously walking the same way as his father. Verse 27, then Basha, the son of Ahiah, 
of the house of Issachar conspired against him, and Basha killed him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it was so when he became king that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he destroyed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant Ahiah, the Shilonite, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned, and by which he had made Israel sin because of this provocation with which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. So uh, the reason I want to bring this to you, this part of the chapter actually is happening after Asa has this amazing victory over the Ethiopians, now we see that uh, Basha, this wicked guy who wiped out all of Jeroboam's family, is going to start warring with Asa. So what is Asa going to do? What do we think Asa's going to do? We've already learned about Asa's character. What's he going to do? We wish he would call on the Lord, but guess what? He's a dummy. <laughs> He's... <laughs> He, he forgets about this. <laughs> I know, that's the worst part about Asa. So, so now we can, uh, we can go back over here in 1 Kings. Let me backtrack here in 1 Kings. Uh, hold on one minute. Got to catch up here in my notes. T- tonight I, I tried to do something new in my notes, and it is not working. So we're just going to go back to Asa. So, so go to verse 16. Of Kings chapter 15, verse 16. Now there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. And Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and the gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabarimon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, and there, there was between my father, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben Hadad, Ben Hadid, uh, king Asa, and, and uh, so, so Ben Hadad heeded. King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. He attacked Ejon, Dan, Abel, Beth Makkah, and all of Chanarath with all the land of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and remained in Tirzah. Verse 22 Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted, and they took away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building. With them, King Asa built Geba and Benjamin and Mizpah. So right now, as we're looking at this, we're going, okay, uh, Asa did this thing where he got together all the gold and silver, sent it up to the king of Syria, said, King of Syria, why don't you forsake that treaty that you have with Basha? You attack Basha. And when the king of Syria did, then Asa kind of swooped in, took all the timber that he was building this fortified outpost with, 
and, uh, and used it for, for Judah. Now, it sounds really, really smart. But the problem is Asa did not remember the Lord. And you have to remember that. We can look at these things and go, ah, Asa was pretty shrewd. That was a good move. Don't, don't be so quick to say that. Let, let me read on a little bit. Verse 22, then King Asa made, oh, sorry. Verse 23, the rest of all the acts of Asa's, all the, his might, all that he did, the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. So Asa rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. So we read this whole thing that he was diseased in his feet. Well, if you want to find out more information about a king or what he did, where would you go? Second Chronicles. Turn over to Second Chronicles. I know we're doing this a lot tonight. Uh, we're almost done, but uh, I, I want to make sure you guys get the whole story here. Second Chronicles, and we're going to go to uh, chapter 16, verse, verse 7. Chapter 16, verse 7. And Asa is still alive at this point. This is after he's made the treaty with Syria. And it says, at, and at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Now, do you remember with the Ethiopians? They were outnumbered. It was a huge army. And they prayed to the Lord. And they said, the Lord, you're our rest. You deal with this. God dealt with it. And how much money did Judah lose in that? None. In fact, what did they gain? The, yeah, they gained all sorts of spoils, especially some camels, right? We, we read about that. They, they gained a lot because they raided all the, the, the places on the way as they chased Ethiopia out. They came back with more because God fought with them. Now Asa in his own wisdom says, I'm going to make a treaty with Syria. I'm not going to call on the Lord. I'm not going to remember the Lord. I'm going to make a treaty with Syria. And how much did it cost them? All the gold and silver. Get it all together. Give it all. They're, they're willing to bankrupt their company to trust in a man, their, their country to trust in a man, uh, another man versus trust in the Lord. So God's not done with Asa. He's, he's going to punish Asa for this act. So verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I love that verse. That's something you should underline Put on your promises. Throw that on your refrigerator. The eyes of the Lord run to and forth throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That's a good promise verse. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Do you see the shift in Asa? Asa shifted from being somebody who was chasing idols out of the land, chasing wicked people out of the land, to, to not trusting the Lord and not depending any longer on the Lord, trusting in himself. And then when he gets a message from God, he gets angry, he throws the prophet of God in the prison. 
And, and then it says he started to oppress the people. All these wonderful reforms that Asa had done, his sin started to undo. And, and now we've got to go to verse 11. Note that the acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now, we recognize that sometimes God chooses not to heal. Sometimes God gives infirmities and chooses to to let us have a thorn in the flesh to deal with, to to, uh, to, to build our own character and our dependence upon him. We, we know that. But when the text tells us that he had a malady and he refused to seek the Lord, he sought physicians, there's a problem there. Now, this text is not saying don't ever go to a doctor. It's not saying don't, don't trust your doctor or anything like that. But the text is saying that Asa should have been seeking the Lord first. That's what Asa should have been doing and you can't help get, but get the idea here that he was, had this severe disease and it continued in his feet because of the fact that he would not turn to the Lord. So Asa, verse 13, rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. That's it. That's Asa. That's the, his end. Asa could have had a wonderful end. But because Asa chose, he started out so well. He started out so well. And if he would have continued, it would have been an amazing king. A king like his grandfather David, his great-great-grandfather David. But instead, he didn't finish well. And, and I think for you and for me, we, we tend to think that with age we get better, but without the Lord we don't. If, I mean, yeah, there's wisdom that comes with age for sure. We all know that. I, I know that certain chemicals don't mix well together. You know, I've learned that. Uh, hot stoves are hot. Don't put your hand on it. I got that part. I figured it out, right? <laughs> it got some wisdom. But, but without the Lord, we can actually deteriorate. But we can grow worse. And I, I think that every birthday that you have, it's time for an assessment, a heart assessment. Am I growing closer to the Lord? And am I drawing closer to him? Am I, am I being more conformed to his likeness? Or am I straying farther from him? I want to be like a Jacob. Jacob is not a fun guy in the Bible. In fact, he's like by far my least favorite guy in the Bible. But Jacob, we see that he starts out really bad, but how he finishes is amazing. Jacob is the most remembered name in all the Bible. Did did you realize that? Jacob is the most remembered name. In fact, the, the, the people of God, the Jews, were not named the Abrahamites or the Isaacites. They were named after Israel, Jacob. The name that God gave to Jacob, because in Jacob's later years, Jacob grew close to God. Finish like that. Finish as you grow closer to the Lord. Don't be an Asa and say, oh, i got to fix this on my own. I've got to take care of it. You remember those battles that God did for you, and you trust in him. 
And that's what I want to encourage you with tonight. Now, before we close out tonight, there's a couple things that I want to um, call us to. Uh, you should have a little communion cup there in the, the front of the pew. These um, little communion cups. There's a reason why we do communion. The, the Bible says as long as you take part in this cup and this bread, you remember the Lord's death and you remember his return. You, this, is, this is a moment to remember our fellowship with God and the fact that the Lord died for us and we want to have communion. We want to have fellowship with God. We want to grow close to God, not away from God. And this is one of the reasons why we do it the first Sunday of every month because we want to remind ourselves to, to draw near to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we approach the table, we're warned, one, to not do it as an unbeliever because we're just merely piling up judgment on ourselves. So this is for believers. It's not for those of you who are not believers. For anyone who's trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is for you. Come to the table and have fellowship with Christ. Another thing we're told is that to not do this in sin. Paul actually rebukes those in the church who were taking, partaking in the Lord's table, but, but in their hearts, they were, in their actions, they were doing all sorts of sinful activities. And so communion is a reminder for us to draw close to the Lord and repent of any sin. So I want to take a moment and pray and you know what's going on in your life. And we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to you right now on what you need to confess and repent of. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for being our God. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for us. And Holy Spirit, now we ask that you would search us and know us. We come to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Show us any wickedness in our lives. What do you need to repent of? Pride, anger, unforgiveness, lust. Whatever it is, bitterness, resentment. You confess that now. Maybe it's a lack of faith in the Lord Jesus Maybe you question his goodness. Lord Jesus, we ask you to forgive us our sins. And we thank you, Lord, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous and will for, or faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. So now we come to this table. And the Lord Jesus took the bread. After giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. And in the same manner, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you, take and drink. Hallelujah. If God makes a covenant with you, it is sure that there's no kingdom, no government, no man that can break that. No principalities. You know, in 1 John, John says, for whatever is born of God 
overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Jesus Christ has given us the victory. You remember that as you go out. You're all victors. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Amen.